Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. There's been a lot in the news lately about the NBA salary cap and ratings and what the next TV deal is going to be like. And so I wanted to bring in Larry Coonbridley to talk about some of that stuff. Uh, Larry, of course, has been a great mentor to me. It really helped me in terms of my knowledge of the salary cap, both through his excellent CBA FAQ website and also being nice enough to be available whenever I had uh, a bunch of stupid questions uh, as well. And also, he and I have worked together for a long time now on Sports Business Classroom. So Larry's going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of this segment. But critically, how are you? I'm doing great. It's like you know, it's we're ramping up for sports business classroom, and this we're about three weeks out from it, so there's not much time to get registered. But also for me, there's not much ramp up time in putting the program together. And you know from firsthand experience how much work it is to put this program together every year. And so I'm I'm at the point where it's you know 20 hour days basically, but it's it's great. It's fun. It's going to be a great program this year. I'm hanging in there. Yeah. Well, Larry, uh, I guess I have this propensity for having guests on who don't really sleep because uh, <laughs> he and Danny both like get uh, three times the amount of work done of uh, a normal person like me who actually requires eight hours of sleep per night so I, I think where we should start in this conversation is just talking about what we've been through here for the league's finances the last couple of years with the interruption in play due to COVID and the bubble and then not having fans this year so why don't we just rewind and talk about what the players and the league's agreement ended up being with respect to how they are going to deal with the revenue loss of COVID and how that would affect uh, the salary cap and tax and all that stuff. Yeah, because the basics of this were already in the CBA, right? There's the force majeure clause, which just says, hey, if they lose a game that doesn't get made up, then the players are going to take the hit on the salary for those games. But that's for the small interruptions. Then there's another section of the CBA that deals with big interruptions that basically just says they're going to have to meet and figure out what to do about it because if it's a big interruption you know something like a global pandemic then it's going to be a unique situation that that they're going to have to to find their way through it and i've even talked to team people who said yeah and these are guys who know the cba like the back of their hand right they're going yeah we knew those sections were in there but nobody ever read them because nobody expected (laughs) that there was ever going to be this kind of work stoppage so that's exactly what happened right they um they lost a big chunk of the season fortunately they rescued a a big chunk of it through the bubble and that had the potential of blowing up at any point in time and as it turns out you know they they were able to play all the way through the finals in the bubble 
Um, so they were able to recover a lot, but it was still a significant revenue loss. Now, the agreement between the league and the players is effectively that they split the money that comes in up and down, basically 50-50. It can go up or down a percentage either way. So when the, the revenue is up, the players get half of the revenue, their income's up. Uh, and there are ways of adjusting for the fact that the contracts are negotiated before the season, sometimes even years before, but the revenue isn't known until after the season and they do that audit. Uh, but conversely, if revenue goes down, the players in the league, by their agreement, the players' revenue goes down also. And the system isn't set up to accommodate such a big loss of revenue with the, the players because there's an escrow system that took a portion, you know, 10% of their money that just holds back enough to make sure that they're, the players are keeping the right amount. Uh, which they give them the right amount after the audit. Well, in this big loss of a season, they withheld 10%. The escrow was way, way, way short of what it needed to be. So they did an emergency increase of that, which helped to stem the tide. But then for this season, what they did was they, they increased the escrow knowing that revenue was going to be down again. And they just they said that players will lose a maximum 20% per year in that escrow fund. And they're allowing the players to basically pay that off up up to three years, which which kind of makes sense from that perspective because then the players aren't taking you know they're they're still losing their half of the money, but it, the blow gets softened, so it's essentially a zero percent interest loan to them. Um, and then the other component of this is they don't want to enter free agency right after revenue goes way down because if if they they just go by the regular formula. The cap goes way down. The luxury tax yeah. goes way down. There's no money for free agents. And that's not fair for the free agents that just happened to hit free agency that year. So they propped it up. They said that uh, this past year, 2020 through 2021, the cap would stay the same at 109. The luxury taxes stay the same at 132. And um, they would just base everything off of that. Then this year, uh, for 2021, 2022, they guaranteed at least a 3% bump, a 3% to 10%, which means caps moving on the top end, but we're not getting there. So the, 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 every player has the option now to enter free agency if this is their free agent year in a year in which the cap goes up by a normal amount. And then they just figure out the math later through escrow and everything else. And then the other big component of this is that they're trying to make this everything contained in a two-year period. Last year, the bubble year. This year, you know, 72 out of 82 games, revenue was way down. Um, Adam Silver did a, a press conference at the start of the finals, and he said it's down by about a third, which I can believe. Uh, yeah. But but they're trying to go back to having a normal year starting next year. So if if it's two years, they stem the tide, they, they weather the storm, whatever other metaphor I can put there, uh, and then they get through it, then great. And then it takes a a couple of more years for the players to make it up through the escrow system yeah and i laud the players association and the league for coming up with this system now part of it was already in place with the escrow system which i don't think they have at least not in, in football necessarily but if you compare this to football where they are having the cap go down it's a little easier in football because it's a hard cap but also because you have so many non-guaranteed contracts in the nba you have these guaranteed contracts 
but to just fix it so these free agencies the last couple of years operated pretty much like a normal free agency that you would have expected right you didn't see maybe the same cap increase that everyone was expecting but it wasn't some catastrophic decline you didn't have teams who had to just sell off players like crazy because they were going to have all of a sudden like a 150 million dollar tax payment that no one was anticipating because the tax went way down they avoided those sorts of outcomes that were really going to negatively impact not only free agents in a certain year as you said but also certain teams that weren't planning for this either and i think the fact that you had both certain teams and the players that were both going to be really negatively impacted by a sort of system shock help them mm-hmm. to come up with this idea where it all kind of yeah like the individual players all of them like it's all the pain is getting distributed to all the players all the pain is getting distributed to all the owners and so but as fans like that's all kind of behind the scenes like the it doesn't really impact the fan experience that much so i think they did a really good job there um so let's say now revenue returns to normal starting next year arenas are full tv contracts they can totally fulfill them they're supposed to be back on the normal nba timeline for next year how would that affect the cap over what we'll say the the next real kind of time horizon here is until the tv contract expires at the end of the 24 25 season the national tv contract how would we expect to see the cap rise uh based on a return to normal revenue under the agreement that they have right now yeah so like we said last year they kind of put it on stilts you know they propped it up so that it would be a normal year this for what for this coming year 2021 they're um they're allowing it to go back to the formula the regular formula but just putting up boundaries around it saying it's going to be at least a three percent increase at most a ten percent increase so if if the revenues are projected to be great and it's going to be huge, it's still going to get smoothed out a little bit. Because and and you mentioned you know the shock to the system, which is exactly what something is. You don't want the cap to go either up or down by a large amount in one year. We saw that in 2016 when the last new TV deal hit, and there were a lot of bad results um, that that came from that. So keeping it so that it's it's going to be uh, controlled, but then we're, we're going back to a normal revenue stream. The cap would normally increase, you know, three to four percent a year, um, and then players' salaries in the aggregate would increase by a commensurate amount. That's exactly what we expect. So I think it would it would bring the the system more back to normal. The players are going to be paying for it for a couple of more years, like I said, because of that extended escrow. But I think we're back to normal. Through the rest of the current TV deal, uh, certainly. And then the current TV deal is set to expire in 2025. And that's where we would see the, the next big increase one would expect. Yeah. So, uh, interestingly enough, you know, uh, Jabari Young had an article about this for CNBC back in March. Uh, while the NBA's ratings are down, that's the case across all of live TV. And there is still while the nba's ratings may be down a little bit relative to what they used to be the rest of the live tv audience it seems like it's going down even more so there is a feeling still that the nba is going to be able to increase uh their national tv contract next time and there maybe there's some possibility that they could get the networks to open up the the deal a little bit earlier let's discount that possibility for now on we'll say that you know it starts in 25 which uh gets here faster than you think 
but let's say they're able to 1.5x their current TV contract. What X would that lead to the cap going up given what a percentage uh, of the of BRI the national TV contract is? Yeah, so first of all, just to kind of level set here, um, the current TV contract, and this is the national TV contracts. This is not like the local cable revenue, right. things like that. The national TV contracts this year add up to about $2.5 billion out of a uh, BRI that's uh, that should be around eight to nine billion. So we're getting you know around a third of the revenue comes from the national TV deal. Um, and when we get to the end of the agreement, so the twenty four twenty five, that's going to add up to about three billion. And you know, let's say that the the we expect BRI at that point to be around ten billion. So we're we're still a- around that same level. So the article that came out recently, it talked about you know the NFL just did a one hundred billion dollar deal for eleven years. Um, and the NBA's current deal is going to be running out. It says they could be seeking $75 billion in the next deal. Um, and they ran some metrics on the on the basis of, of what what things do work out as from people who, who kind of price these things. And they said, yes, yeah, $70 billion for nine years is a reasonable figure. So that would take them into the seven to eight billion dollars in the national TV revenue per season alone. And that's not even counting, you know, like they, they do a, a $1.5 billion deal with Tencent in China. They have all the other forms of TV revenue that are going on. So that kind of increase from uh, at the end of the deal, $3 billion, to let's go on the low end of that, let's say $7 billion. We're adding $4 billion in revenue right there. So the, the way to get from an increase in revenue to an increase in cap, just really rough numbers. You divide that in half because the players get half of that. So take that $4 billion, divide it in half, that's $2 billion. Divide that by 30, whatever $2 billion is divided by 30 is a rough figure for the cap increase. So we're, in fact, I can even pull out a calculator here and do the math because I'm way too tired to do it in my head right now. Uh. <laughs> Comes out to about $66 million. Yeah, that is that is a big, big number. Uh, and presumably if they got that big of an increase, they would learn their lesson. It seems like they've learned it for the, these negotiations with the decrease that you know that increase might get smoothed in so you don't get it all in one year and get that huge shock like it they had in 2016. It would that happened again if they didn't learn that yeah. lesson. I, I, I think both sides agree. I mean, I loved it because it was good for business and it was very chaotic <laughs> you and fun. plenty to talk about. But, yeah, I'm, but I'm also, sure you devoted like four shows to Timothy Moskov alone. That was, uh, yes, uh, one for each game that he played over the life. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was uh, so now, and I don't know that they're going to get to $7 billion a year. Maybe if they did, I mean, that's one thing that you mentioned was, you know, the number has gone up, right? I think the first year of this TV deal, they, uh, you know, was more down in like the high, you know, 1.8, 1.9 range. And it's gone up by like, you know, a hundred billion or so every year to, to get to about the, the 3 billion. So maybe, you know, even if it was 70 billion over 10 years, it would start at 6 billion and get up to nine by the end or something like that. You would have those increases kind of built in. So, you know, that's a possibility. I still think that that's a really big number. Maybe that comes from giving some more rights, like NBA League Pass is now kind of folded into ESPN Plus or something instead. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe there's a way or, you know, include some more local rights in that. Maybe that's how they get to that number. That's also, you know, what they're seeking. You don't always get a, a, exactly what you're seeking. 
But no, I mean, I, I think that's fascinating. So even if they were to 1.5x, which kind of seems more realistic, you know, let's say it goes from 3 billion to 4.5 or 5 billion, and you're still getting a pretty darn big increase in kind of what the cap is technically supposed to be because that's just based on BRI, but then they might phase that increase in over a few years. But you'd probably be looking at, you know, a few years where your cap is going up by 15 to $20 million per season at a minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good time to have a good jump shot, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is also a good time to sign up for Sports Business Classroom. We're trying to put it together here on the fly. We just got the go-ahead right at the end of June. Uh, A lot of the curriculum, obviously, that's a a big part of it. But uh, why should people drop everything that they are doing in August and make it to Las Vegas from August 9th through 14th? Thank you for those dates. Yeah, we are live and immersed in the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas, Nevada. And you you and I have done this event many years in a row. And we had to put the pause on it last year because of COVID. And we did hold two virtual events. But it's just not the same as actually being in the arena to, to do this thing live. Like, did you ever see Ford versus Ferrari? I I equate it to, you remember that scene where Carol Shelby got Henry Ford in the car and drove him yeah. down that run, right? So the, the this experience in the seat is way different. So we're immersing you in Summer League, which means, you know, everybody from the NBA is there in that arena, in a relaxed environment, and we bring them to you. We put you out there in the arena. You are scouting games with scouts. You are broadcasting on the sidelines. You're kind of doing everything in in this great immersed experience people are available to you i set you up with one-on-one networking if you're if you're looking for jobs in sports right the networking as you know is so critical we get you going with that we give you the kind of instruction and education that you need to have my motto is whatever table you're sitting at at that front office i want you to be conversant so we give you instruction in the salary cap scouting analytics you know video uh, broadcasting and media even so we give you and, and how front offices work so we're giving that broad base of knowledge you're picking a major to dive in deeper so if you become a salary cap major you're getting more of a deep dive with me on the intricacies of the CBA uh, we have this huge term project that um, you are analyzing a team you're presenting to a panel of experts that includes like former GMs themselves getting feedback then you're executing it our mock trade deadline that has gotten a great reputation over the years. And then once you're done with that, you're going to see how your team did. You're going to go back before our experts present it again. And we're going to pick a winner out of that group. We always have great guests at SBC. I mean, we uh, I'm still lining up this year's. Last time in 2019, our guests included Mark Cuban, Mike D'Antoni, Neil O'Shea, the GM of the Trailblazers. You know, people of that caliber come into Sports Business Classroom. Uh, you know, Kiki Vandaway, Tommy Shepard, I can just go on and on. Uh, come into Sports Business Classroom to interact, to teach. It's, it's an amazing, immersive experience. And if you have any dreams whatsoever of getting more involved in, in this great business, that's the NBA. You know, the Summer League itself is all about finding the next stars. And it's not just about the Summer League players, but, you know, it's about the refs. It's about the coaches. This is for the front offices. This is for the scouts. This is for people 
people to, to, to come in, to learn how to do it, to get plenty of education and advice on how to do it. And it's, it's how to build your network and use your network so that people will know you. So if you're interested, it is coming up pretty quick. Our, our ramp up time is really short this year. August 9th through 14th at the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas. You go to sportsbusinessclassroom.com and you can register for this thing. You can be a part of this. And Nate, you should have some kind of, uh, you know, I don't know, code like cap space or something like that that they can <laughs> enter. And then if they enter, I'll give them a discount. Cap space. That, that's, a, that's a good idea for a code. That, that just came right off the top that. of my head. Can you, can you imagine? I, I just think <laughs> of these great ideas right off the cuff. I'll give you a $200 discount if you come in and you use the code CAPSPACE. Put that in the comment section when you register. All right. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And obviously, uh, I can't recommend this program more highly because I helped develop it, number one. But also just because a a lot of people have been through and have used it as at least part of a, a springboard to get a job in sports whether it's media whether it's uh with the team or what have you so i you know obviously we can't guarantee that but i think if you are someone who's talented and can work hard and is and is personal and puts in the time this could be something that is the best tool that i know of at least to increase the your chances of working in this business well people come out of this you know if the typical student is a basketball fanatic and he's the only one among his friends who's into it at that level and they're kind of like the big fish in the small pond and they get to sports business classroom and everybody is has that level of knowledge or better and all of a sudden they're immersed in an environment of, of these are their peeps the, these are the, the guys who are just like them and everybody there comes out saying I've made friendships for life that there's a network built that supports each other you know we support ex-students we have a a, think of it like linkedin for basketball the vsl talent profile that um, industry people use to look for people uh, when when they're hiring you know we do plenty of after event support for people to help get them situated uh you know just like a minor thing like there was uh, nba tv had um had, had that reality show gm school last year all of those, um, the contestants in that were our former students that we recommended to the program. So we do plenty of, of little things like that. We bring back the top performers the following season to work with the program. So for some of our people from lat, from 2019 are here working with the program this year. Uh, you know, like, like we said, if you have any interest in working in the league, you need to be a sports business classroom, period. All right. Thanks again, Larry, for coming on. And now let's get to the live mailbag. All right. Um, welcome on to this week's Dunked On Live here on Spotify Greenroom. And uh, as usual, we will take uh, requests and we'll also answer things that come up in the discussion. We'll try to do a mix of the two. And there's, of course, a lot to talk about between game six of the NBA finals being tonight and the rapidly approaching NBA draft and offseason. So a lot of things to discuss. We can go wherever you take us and we'll do a mix of longer answers and shorter ones, depending on what we see. So we will start with Philip. Philip, you are on the here. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, how are you? Hey, pretty good. Um, I'm, uh, I've uh, called in before. All I want to talk about is Sacramento Kings. Um, let's, let's get it. 
Yeah, the uh, lately there's been a lot of reports. Um, the Kings being very, even if they're just throwing their hat into the ring. Today was like about their going hard at Damian Lillard, which is like kind of out of, it's kind of crazy. But I do like after listening to your guys's um, Kings preview, I felt a pretty underwhelmed about what their how everybody's even fixing their narrative. They're putting it out. They're, they're, they want to make the playoffs. Last year, they made those midseason trades that ended up like getting a little push towards the play-in. Um, I don't have any illusions about uh, certain things, but I do think they do have pieces to move, and they have all their picks. And if they're going to go all in for something, I want to know what it is. I'd like to anything you guys would think about their capacity to get somebody like Ben Simmons or even uh, lower tier people that aren't all stars, but even like say Tobias Harris or a, any type of starter that could help them next season. Well, so, so let me ask you a question, Philip. Uh, how willing are you as a Kings fan to put Tyrese Halliburton into a deal for someone like Ben Simmons? Yeah, that's the legit thing. I think that I I I would be for Ben Simmons. I feel like Ben Simmons is becoming like underrated at this point, And I do really think that that's like because of the very, the strangeness of his be even kind of being available at 25 multiple time all-star. I think he would really, even the narrative that would help Sacramento that we can actually get a deal done at all. Like I would be into it. I would be into it. It does seem like this is kind of Monty McNair taking on a little bit of the persona of his old boss, Daryl Morey, where even when Houston had no chance of doing something or getting in on someone, they just, they always wanted to be in the discussion. You know, like you're talking about with Lord. I don't think, have you seen that Danny? I I haven't seen that report. Uh, I haven't, but personally. I haven't been, I haven't been around too much today online. Kevin so. O'Connor uh, reporting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and so obviously, you know, moving heaven and earth to pair Fox and Lillard together, you know, that seems like, I, I mean, I, unless Fox is in that deal, you kind of wonder of like what that would look like to just have pretty much all your resources in those two guys. But yeah, but, but I do think, I mean, I think it's just important to even sort of like pretend to be part of that narrative, just so that you, you almost speak it into existence that maybe some star would would want to go there at some point. So it, you mentioned that about Hal Burton. You know, I think the other question that you have to answer, you know, we'll, we'll put you in the, uh, you obviously pay a ton of attention to the Kings. So what if you're Vivek, not Victor, uh, Rana Dive, uh, you, what is your goal for this iteration of the Kings? Are you trying to get into championship contention are you just you want to make the playoffs just because you haven't done that in 16 years or you know what are you kind of thinking about for this team as like your end goal yeah well my actual i really think the the possibility of ben simmons is like a, a legit thing because it's really pieces our timeline together i think it's uh, not a healthy thing to attempt to force our way into the playoffs next season because we're about to break the record for most non non uh, times in the playoffs which is like clippers uh record at the moment and i really think i don't want to lose halliburton but the really we've ex- we've we were a good offense last season we were the worst defense ever but the, the trending of the league, I feel like we, if we could retain Holmes and just make enough cap room to facilitate bringing in enough depth to compete for the eight or going all in for somebody specifically like Simmons who fits our timeline, um, I, 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 that would be my goal. But uh, Vivek also, uh, often, it's kind of like the Rock Divers thing. You, co- you should just call him Victor because of the <laughs> way that he's always like, losing it i don't know what he's on but that would, R- that would rivek vanadive 
Well, no, that's only that's only going to happen when he names himself the coach, which would be or, very or, exciting. Or the, yeah, or, or the the general manager. Yeah. So, Danny, you uh, sorry if I kind of hijack things a little bit here, but you know, what do you what are your general thoughts on the Kings trading for Ben Simmons? Do you agree with me that they it's probably got to be Tyrese Halliburton in that deal? Unless Philly is really interested in what Harrison Barnes can bring, but even then, I think that yeah. Simmons' value around the league is going to be is going to be difficult. And the Kings do have multiple pieces of kind of like semi-matching salary, but the concept of them like really the ammunition that they would need to get somebody truly great I, I don't think that they're quite there because you brought up the king's future first like yeah the ninth pick is nice it's not it's a good asset it's not a premium one um you're not getting a you know you're not getting a probably a top five player there unless you have good fortune you really believe in somebody in particular and the hard thing that I have to square with Sacramento is that Harrison Barnes is a good player, a player who I think could draw a return. So you kind of need to go, I think, one direction or the other. Now, I am partial to thinking like the brightest days for Halliburton and Fox as a combination are probably two to four years from now. And so I would be squaring that by moving Barnes and getting a little worse for a year or two, clean up the clean up the salaries a little bit, get some more resources, get more bites at the, at the apple, and then go at it then. But I understand that the pressures Vivek Ranadive and Monty McNair under are not my own. And so I the problem with going more all in is that you have to be right. And you also have to be good enough that that sort of a player gets you there. And with, with Simmons, what I think that the Simmons-Fox combination on defense is is intriguing. You do need a center there. Like those two guys are not enough to to get to get you to that spot. But offensively, Fox and Simmons are both, you know, they're limited shooters. And maybe Fox, if he's more catch and shoot, I haven't looked at his splits there, whether he has one of those bigger disparities. But one of those guys is going to need something to do. And you're going to be pairing them if your defense is going to be good enough with the center that can't shoot. So that's going to be a real challenge. So for me, I I think Ben Simmons is right for a team like the Kings, but I'm not sure that the Kings are that team because I think they already have the players that can kind of give their trans, transition offense and identity and everything else. I think to me, it's the idea of Halliburton and Barnes for Simmons and then from my standpoint and maybe I I'm lower on Simmons even than you know many uh, and Simmons value has reached a nadir at least for the time being it could get worse but uh I would say that if I'm Philly to trade for Barnes and Halliburton particularly considering the cost control nature of Halliburton and you know it's another question of like do you think that Halliburton can contribute uh to you know can he be that primary ball handler for Philly you know I'm not sure he's quite ready to do that at a playoff level yet but if you feel that way about Halliburton I think you probably have to throw some more into that deal if you're Philly to to get Barnes and Halliburton for Ben Simmons but what do you guys think of that what about you Philip yeah I think that if 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 Tyrese is in the deal unless we're like facilitating um with a third team that would somehow want other pieces that there's this one one that's kicking around King's Reddit that involves allowing Kyle Lowry to sign and trade to the Sixers and um we don't include Tyrese and we just include picks and those go to the Raptors for with like Barnes and DeLon Wright um facilitating some role playing for the Sixers along with Kyle Lowry uh like a piece like that is more realistic to me but um I do think that it's just the cost is just going to go up for Simmons as he's kicked around the league and it's either like three first rounders and all the swaps and literally any other players that we could get off the team except for Fox and Tyrese Halliburton and would give us the cap space to re-sign Holmes because we can't do that uh, because of our contract situation with Buddy and Bagley. So that's like 
that that's where I'm at. And and the last thing is is also just like there's a the narrative surrounding the Kings, which is just trash and it's hard to hear every year. Our like our star rotations in our franchise history is Reggie Theus, Mitch Richmond, and Chris Weber. And Mitchman and Richmond and Weber were swapped for each other. So it's like we got to get like even just having the relevancy of being in the deal, getting somebody is very valuable to the Kings. I feel like. Yeah, it's just tough because Philly, I don't know, would really be interested in future assets necessarily, which is, from Philly's standpoint is what makes us so tough. But this is, it, was, it was an interesting thought experience. So, so thanks for that, Philip. And uh, I think we should probably move on here, though, Danny. Yeah, we can jump to uh, Jamie. Jamie, you are on the air and you are currently muted. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, can you hear me? No worries. Yeah. Yes. I, and I'm guessing it's it's probably Jaime, huh? Yeah, Jaime from Spain. Yeah. Oh, yeah, awesome. good, good to hear from you. I, I will uh, I will be in your country in uh, about a month, hopefully. Uh, God willing, everything everything going all right with this crazy world. But hopefully I will be there. Coming to Madrid or Barcelona? So uh, actually, we're going to start off in uh, Malaga, where my wife, uh, one of her best friends, is French, but she's married to a French slash Spanish guy and his family is down there. So we'll start off there and then we're actually going to drive up uh, through a a lot of spain but we'll end up in barcelona which is uh one of my favorites thank you for pronouncing it in uh the uh the gringo uh english way for us <laughs> as well because clearly if you pronounce it correctly we wouldn't understand it but yeah i mean it's I, it's gonna be our first international trip in a long time so hopefully we, we get a chance to uh eat some awesome food uh but so so what kind of question you got for us here honey yeah I, I would like you to rank the rest of the leagues beside the nba uh, between the acb here in spain and the euro league uh, ncaa mlb i would like to know when the prospects are playing um, outside of the ncaa and which do, do you guys think is the best competition between the rest of the leagues so i i am not personally that much of an expert on this i mean i i I'll be the first to admit that I don't really get a chance. I'll maybe watch, you know, like EuroLeague Final Four and Olympics, you know, as far as, and obviously I watch international prospects as well, but as far as just like watching the game just to watch it, I I am not the best person to ask for this, um, but I'm going to see if I can find it. I want to say about six years ago on Nylon Calculus, someone actually did a mathematical model of this. So it's going to be out of date a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to see if I can find that real quick and and see what they said there yeah uh, I, I started looking for kevin pelton's and i had trouble finding it i thought he did one too uh, um, but that might not be pub that might not be public i would guess it is the first euro league second acb and i don't know between the g league the ncaa and the mlb i i, I would i would i wouldn't know that. so my, so my, i mean my general my general thought is you know euro league number one acb probably number two i mean pretty much everyone who talks about it says says acb and then then, you know you probably would go down to uh, after those two which are which are the best I mean you probably got the Italian league the French league the German league kind of all around the same area um maybe the Adriatic league is like a little bit below that uh the domestic Israeli league is like I think well below that um you know where the G league comes in on that like that's interesting too because I think the G league actually used to have a little bit higher level of competition when there were fewer teams um 
and also with you know two-way guys spend a lot of time with the teams now as opposed to being you know before the two-way system those guys would have just been in the g league most of them probably some might have gone overseas as well um you know in some of these leagues like the russian league the israeli league the chinese league those are really weird because you have these issues where you have to have three guys who have uh the domestic who are from the country that the league is in on the floor at all times so it goes get difficult so it's actually uh lane vashro if anyone in the comments you're welcome to try to join up and take a look at at this as well but lane vashro before he got hired by the nuggets wrote this five years ago if you just search nylon calculus uh league competitions uh you'll find it i can't i don't know how i can get this pasted into the comments here so um here's here's what he had um so he's basically like, you know, if there's a baseline of one, so these are all sort of like relative. Uh, the NBA playoffs level of competition from 2002 to 2015, he ranked that as like a 3.84 on his his system. The overall NBA is 3.26. Then the next highest was the Olympics 2.56 and this is all again this is old stuff right so um FIBA World Cup 1.85 that you that makes sense that that would be worse than the Olympics because there's a lot more teams right um Eurobasket 1.7 Euroleague 1.6 acb 1.5 uh and then let's see what else is here uh the nba uh d it was called the d league at that point uh 1.2 and then some of the domestic leagues are kind of right around that same area as well and then getting into ncaa those are like below one um and so interestingly even like some of the european domestic leagues are like below ncaa and so this is the way he came up with this basically was to try to say all right when players switch from one league to another how do their stats get impacted and then you know he translated that into this so this was uh this is all kind of like very very eyeballed you know I'm, I'm sure if you asked him he would say this isn't like perfect but this is this is the only study that i know of publicly that has kind of looked at that a little bit so that's that's kind of the rough ranking that i have but i'm more i would be more comfortable just talking i mean i think the other thing you could probably look at honestly is just how much do guys get paid in each league that's probably like a pretty good proxy for it don't you think because Oh yeah, no, no, that's right. Well, so, so what do you think? I mean, is that kind of the the feeling in Spain that it's like, are there people in Spain who think the uh, Euro League isn't as good as the ACB? Uh, no, no, everybody knows that uh, the Euro League is the best league outside of the NBA, uh, leaving apart the international competition. But uh, I think we we think here that ACB is the third one, the third best before uh, after the NBA and the and the Euro League. So I think it seems right, and everything you said makes sense. Yeah, I mean that that seems to be the consensus you know like guys like mike schmitz and jonathan gavoni you know when they're talking about prospects i think they say uh that kind of stuff as well so yeah sorry i'm not quite as much of an expert on that but uh did the best we could on that and uh thanks for the call jamie appreciate it or Jaime, i should say thank you oh we got a we got a question in the discussion from jacob xyz about what other players are we gonna do scouting reports on so the one that we're doing a full definite scout on and that should be out this week is kate cunningham and then we will do some mini scouts we're working on who that will be and also how much time we're going to have because we have you think about the kind of the compressed part of the year is that we still have team previews and then those so we're working on i don't know if you have anybody else nate that you're sure that we're gonna do um but kate cunningham will get a full scout and then the others will be mini scouts that's less time watched for one or both of us 
Well, so uh, we did in my chat last week, I got asked if we could do a vote in the Discord for certain prospects. And I said, yeah, absolutely. We'll do the prospects that uh, the Dunkdown Prime members wants to do. So number one is uh, Alperin Sengen. So we're definitely going to do at least a mini scout on him. And Josh Giddy was the other one that people want us to. So I think we'll do, uh, Giddy was like just behind Sengen, whose name I may be mispronouncing, but we'll, we'll get there on him. Um, so I think we'll definitely do mini scouts on both those I'm, I'm very curious to see both uh, of those players and, and while we're at it here another one of these prospect or uh, process ones um paul says inside baseball type question for you and your work uh we seem to be of one mind most of the time what are some of our biggest disagreements that we recall um i have one that i can think of are there any that come to mind for you i mean we disagreed in the early stages on the brooklyn nets um, in terms of like whether they were viable as a high end team, um, though we you know everything got garbled this year because of injuries and everything else. What are you thinking of? Oh, I have one. Yeah, what is we it? had a we had a really long argument once about where Mark Jackson ranked among NBA coaches. Like I I I was talking about basically was because I had just written a piece for God. I guess that would have been it might have been Warriors World or Real GM was pre. This is this is back when he actually was still employed as a coach. Yes, correct? as a yeah, coach. Yeah, so this and is we, we, this is the first year that we knew each other so before we had time for our uh group think to influence each other and like have our uh opinions begin to asymptotically converge i think i said that he was a bottom 10 coach and then so it became this thing of you and i rattling off coaches that were better and worse than mark jackson but i I don't remember where we i was just i think you thought i was too extreme on it um and it's interesting that he's had another job which doesn't mean mark jackson that doesn't say that like he's a bad coach or anything he has a pretty good gig right now well, I think at that point, it wasn't clear how insane he was. Uh, like, just, just for, from, like, a, from the standpoint of uh, just, you know, his ability to, like, get along inside the organization. Like, that kind of stuff of just, like, not being able to work in an organization hadn't come out yet. Um, my argument was, hey, they're really, really good defensively, and they have been the last couple of years, and then they... But I, I think ultimately what Kerr was able to do for them offensively with basically the same talent although I will note that Kerr lucked into Draymond Green being the starting four and if Mark Jackson had just had Draymond Green as the starting four the next year you know that Warriors team probably ends up being pretty good um but yeah I mean having the fewest number of possessions uh passes per game with Stephen Curry probably wasn't a good idea I think the other thing that I probably didn't understand as much back then is the idea of is more nuanced in evaluating coaches for, hey, he could be a very good coach for getting a team from being terrible to being a, a, a consistent playoff team and developing young players. You know, I think he, there are some very good things that he did, but then also if you're talking about, all right, who do you want coaching your team in the playoffs? You know, he, I probably, he probably would have been a bottom 10 coach, right? So I think maybe that was just, we could have been in closer agreement had we been more into evaluating the nuances of coaching at that and, time. And honestly, that's probably a part of why we ended up started to, one of the things we focused on then was like we started doing coach rankings and everything else to try to evaluate some of that stuff uh, but what was the one you were thinking of oh uh, well so there's a couple i mean one i think was like trey young around draft time that i was like way higher on him than you i want to say at that point like because i had him number two on my board in 2018 i don't did you have him that high i had him did? below i had him in the same tier as aiden but below eight okay and then I, you and i had a big debate about russell westbrook for all nba last year in between the regular season and the bubble where 
And I think I've like generally been a little higher on Westbrook than you, although we're probably both have been lower than the consensus over the years, despite both of us having him as the MVP in, in 2017. But that was one, I think, right? Like, cause I, you, I think were really like discounting his stats that he put up um you know once they went small and i was like hey the guy's averaging 30 points a game on like 60 percent true shooting like you know that's that's pretty good and i think you also were more focused on the fact that he sucked the first uh couple of months of the year that year uh, as well so you whether it was due to him being injured or just that he you were right uh you definitely look better on that one i would say now than at the time uh so let's go to uh i'm gonna say pranav you are next on the board uh hi this is pranav how are you guys doing good how are you doing great so uh i recently heard your jalen green scouting report and i recognize that you guys are pretty high on him and i just want to ask like how high would you rank him among guard prospects in the past uh five years yeah, so I, th- I think we got into that a little bit on the show, but I would have him above Anthony Edwards. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of uh, different. Before, before yeah. we get into this, I'll note yeah. this is as they were as prospects. So try to, in your brain, right. separate what happened since from that, because that's that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, 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 yeah. Because just how excited we were about them at the time. So I'd certainly have him above Edwards. I probably would have him above LaMelo. It gets a little more difficult when you get into talking about point guards. Um, I think I probably, I probably would have had him in the same group as Trey Young. Again, they're kind of not as comparable. How many, there haven't been that many shooting guards drafted in the top five over the last five years. I mean, I guess Marco. I'd, I'd have, Pulse, him, I'd have yeah. him over RJ. Um, yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, RJ we were Barrett. both way. I mean, I had Edwards, I think, over RJ. Yeah. Um, and B- not the below we Luca, high of course. Um, yeah. Um, how about uh, Marco Fultz? Probably would have had him below Marco Fultz. We both were really high on Marco Fultz at the yeah. time. I would have had him um, below Fultz, and I probably would have would have had Jalen Green below Lonzo, which I would regret. But that's just remembering uh, where I was on Lonzo at the time. Yeah, um, I think I probably would have had him above Lonzo. So yeah, does that, does that give you a good good kind of uh, calibrator there? Yeah, it does. I mean, I'm a Rockets fan, so I'm really pushing for the the Green Gang for for us to draft Jalen Green over Mevin Mobley. So yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, yeah, thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, uh, I, I'm Hollinger has Mobley number two on his board, so I think he and I are going to talk about that tomorrow. That'll be fun to uh, to go back and forth. I, I like Mobley plenty as well, actually. But uh, yeah, I, I would probably have Green uh, above him. Uh, where are we going next uh, here, Danny? We can do this one quickly from Scott McGuire. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Clippers' chances of re-signing Batum and Reggie Jackson? I think they're I think they're higher on Reggie Jackson not only because the Clippers yes. have early bird rights, but because of his personal relationship with Paul George he has a really good role it's possible that they intend for him to play a huge part on the Clippers both without Kawhi and then when Kawhi hopefully returns Batum is harder mostly because of the Clippers lack of capacity to pay him basically they with non-bird rights it gives them functionally nothing on Batum it's you know it's a little bit 20% more than his minimum which is not much they can use the taxpayer mid-level I think Batum should get offers higher than that but what could open the door a little bit is that the set off and this the I don't I don't the set off is well no no the, the set off won't apply at all because because he was already waived well no because his contract it's only the set off only applies in years in which the original contract would have, would have run. run okay okay yeah. but so or or basically the idea let's let's make it more basic than that that the Hornets are still paying him a bunch of money maybe he like he still has like a lot on the books maybe he will take less to be in what he thinks is the right situation now whether or not that is the Clippers when you consider that Ty Lue we both feel didn't 
didn't give Batum enough latitude, wasn't playing him enough late, especially in some ways after Kawhi went down, that maybe he feels that could be somewhere else. And so like, I don't know if I would take identical money to go to the Clippers. And the best the Clippers could hope for is that sort of a circumstance. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of who the team is that would offer Batum, you know, like the four years 41, which is the most you can under the mid-level. I don't necessarily see one of the cap space teams coming with a big offer you know he would he would be a very interesting fit in miami danny yes uh if they if they if they kind of don't get any of their big targets and they wanted to because they still haven't really solved that stretch four question like ariza sort of solved it but then of course they, they got completely destroyed in the in the playoffs and so you know if they wanted just say hey we're going to kind of run it back with some tweaks Batum would would be very interesting there they would have of course more flexibility to acquire him than some of these other teams so I you know I does kind of feel like he would go back there the other thing too that the, he could sign a one plus one for the mini mid-level and then then they would have early bird rights on him uh to potentially bring him back I you know it seems like the uh the Clippers front office isn't exactly above promising some wink wink type of deals like that i think actually when we see what happens with serge ibaka this offseason that will be quite telling as well as to whether maybe there was something uh that was agreed to in advance there which would of course would be illegal but yeah i would say jackson better chance of returning just because they have more flexibility to pay him and i also is it possible that Batum could be further uh more in demand i you know he is a year older and also i think there may just be not as many teams will appreciate how good he was in these yeah, playoffs that's true. and and, and, not, uh, or and not every view team it as a needs few, as what a he what he brings yeah yeah i mean also you there's a lot of fluke potential there too i mean the guy just completely mailed it in for two years in charlotte and he was never this good defensively as like a help guy even before that okay let's get to another question and well jared you are on the air hey guys thanks for taking my call um my question uh, today has to do with uh, uh, how Phoenix can get Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson more involved offensively in these last two games of the series, assuming it goes two games. And, and my idea is that because uh, if Phoenix loses this series, I think a big part of the postmortem will be how their offense has degenerated over the last three games into to Devin Booker ISOs and how this has fatally affected their shot quality. Um, ben Taylor, I don't know if you guys, I know you guys have been super busy. Ben Taylor had a, a great pod with Simon Gersberg recently about uh, shot quality. And so my theory is, is that there's a, a direct ratio between the Sun's shot quality and the level of involvement that Johnson and Bridges have in the offense, both because when they're involved, there's there's more ball and player movement, and also because I think these players are are, are good enough to warrant warrant it. They both uh, have over 70% true shooting in the series and, and over 50% attempt uh, or three-point rate. And so I guess I'm just wondering, am, am I way off base on this, thinking that, that these two guys are, are the guys that, that need to get more involved? And, and if not, what kinds of, of ways do you think they can? So some some of it is a symptom and some of it is is the disease i i guess right i mean i think it is more uh a symptom of the disease that they aren't able to put the box into rotation and you know whether it's a pick and roll or, or going against a switch they aren't able to force the box to get uh two guys on the ball 
so and uh i did not have a chance to listen to ben's pod but i did read jared dubin's article talking about drew holiday's defense and i thought that that had a lot of really interesting stats including that uh devin booker has had 57 isolations in this series and the bucks have sent two guys at him on zero of those now he may have yeah. forced help after a driver's time but as far as just like forcing a double team um so i you know that that's an issue but i think but the stats on booker's isolations have been awesome um and i think that unless he has drew holiday on him that that is largely pretty decent offense for these guys and you know some of the stuff that they're running for him on pin downs out of the corner i the one thing that i would say and this is a very good bucks defense they have very good personnel um you know they're not really able to get many like system buckets against switches you know that's one thing that i think just trying to get guys slip into the rim trying to have just a couple of sets where you're causing confusion but generally because the way the bucks are doing it is they don't switch off the ball they only switch on ball and so it's a lot easier to avoid confusion there than with some of the stuff that the warriors run where you can get more kind of quick slips to the rim off the ball you know get the system buckets obviously the suns don't have a shooter with the gravity of clay thompson or steph curry either but with johnson i think the one thing i would try to do is get him coming off of screens more uh particularly because he's usually guarded by one of the weaker defenders sometimes even guarded by bobby portis i think anytime you have that portis johnson matchup they should absolutely try to bring cam johnson off some screens for threes and when they've run atos for that it's usually uh, has worked pretty well so that's the one thing i would say but i don't think there are particularly I, easy I, answers overall i have one more i don't consider an easy answer but using chris paul as a screener i think that the you know the bucks in particular when you, you talked about the nature of their switching and what they do and what they do not do and paul is strong and he also knows how to flop for those fouls if they try to go through him and i think that it would be really interesting to see the suns try that a little bit more and do i i've been harping on the lack of off ball action a lot because i think that's one of the big weaknesses of milwaukee's defense it's a strong defense but that's just something and maybe it's some of that like kind of miami film of just keeping guys duncan robinson does a nice job of this um hero at the times when it looked good in 2020 (laughs) not so much in 2021 um those those sorts of things to keep them in motion to keep other guys occupied and something that um mike mike prada actually just tweeted about and i'm I'm interested he didn't put a clip together but something that i noticed a little bit in game five was you getting Giannis in the action not because he's a bad defender in that but because it gets him away from the basket and so if you're trying to get things around there and that's that's one way to attack the the suns did that to to good effect at times in game five and it's also a challenge when you have Giannis out there with somebody else but if he's really the only rim protector then it's the i i i think of it as the old bam out of bio treatment which is get the rim protector out and then attack and trust that he can't get back in time and if he does frantically try to get back then you're creating an opening somewhere else yeah i think that's a good one of of like get the switch if they're going to the Giannis at center switching everything get the switch force them to uh get him more on the perimeter they're doing a better job of switching back beyond the play than i think or uh miami did last year when bam would get stuck on the perimeter uh, as well the paul is the screener thing i think they'll probably ju- would just switch that i don't know uh, personally i don't know that that would be something that i would try that much although feel feel free to clarify on that if there's something about that you think i'm missing but uh and then yeah 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 go, go ahead yeah, sorry we, we've been rambling a while here but go ahead. another thing i was thinking of the, the paul thing's a, a good idea and i was thinking maybe like using deandre eight more as an off-ball screener especially on on pin downs for open threes 
in that like if if he's if he can can set a pin down and slip the screen to the basket it him rolling to the basket is much more uh, of an issue than say uh, Rudy Gobert or something like that uh which would you know it, it forces Milwaukee off ball into making a, a decision um rather than just yeah. playing it straight up yeah, I mean, whenever a screen set by someone guarded by uh, uh, Portis or Lopez when they're playing a conventional style, I think could be good. Another thing, actually, we talked about this. This is in the last couple minutes of the game. It was the bucket that got the Suns to within one where they ran all this off-ball stuff with everyone above the three-point line. And then Chris Paul just drove past his man uh, when everyone was so concerned about that. I think that's something where, you know, and, and Igor Kokoshkov actually would run some of this stuff in his one year with the with the Suns where you would kind of run some dummy action but the whole point of it was just to occupy the defense and then you throw it to the weak side and Devin Booker can just attack hard and isolate so just something to make his isolations a little bit easier uh without the help behind him and then then maybe if they're not just there waiting for him they got to sprint over there and now you can get that uh that ping ping going but you know, who knows? Maybe they'll do all this stuff. I, I don't know if this is even going to get posted before the game starts tonight. But uh, thanks for that, uh, Jared. Let's uh, let's get to a couple here in the comments. Um, let's see here. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Uh, Max says, uh, what do you look for when scouting shooting mechanics on video just with the eye test, not the stats? Are there certain angles on the TV that are better or, or worse? Um, it's definitely good. This is one where it's kind of nice to see in person. I remember the guy who really showed this for me was Rajon Rondo because, you know, I hadn't been going to games. And then I saw him right after he'd gotten traded to the Mavericks, actually. I saw him doing his warm up and I was just sitting courtside watching it. And I was like, oh, his form looks way more jacked up than it does uh, when you're you're watching on TV. It just kind of looks awkward. It looks stiff. Now, I, I mean, there's a few things you could point to. I mean, definitely the offhand involvement is something like if they're flicking with their thumb or their left hand doesn't just remain straight the whole time if they end up with both hands facing the basket that's one if they've got you know elbows flying way out to the side another one is just you know how well can they shoot on the move or on balance do they shoot a set shot you know the versatility of the jump shot is something big right like someone like scotty barnes for example the idea if you're like man if he shoots like this could he do this while he was on the move and shoot this way and part of it is just sort of like trying to uh mentally import their mechanics into like my own body if i were gonna shoot and just like ooh, that seems like that would be really difficult to like uh shoot on the move when you have to like spread your legs out really far and shoot a set shot right like where you're just sort of like that's not that's not gonna work to shoot that uh on the move um also, I've got a couple the, more. Yeah, yeah, throw them in here, Danny. So I, I think one that I focus on, it's something I remember going back to when you and I met, is repeatability. Like, it does is the guy's jump shot, does it look the same every time when he's doing the same thing? Now, it can look different sometimes if you if the input is different, you know, like maybe you're coming off a screen or something like that. So is it repeatable with the, the bends? Also, release speed and release point. So is it a, is it a low jump shot? Like, is it, is it released a little bit low? Is it always released at the same spot within the jump shot? Did they always jump the same height? There's some 
some guys you run into that sort of problem too. So those sorts of like consistency, repeatability, and like I brought it up briefly, but like release speed is so pivotal, especially when we're talking about a catch and shoot guy in some ways of does it take them, you know, an extra beat to get their shot up? Because if it does, that's a closeout, that's a block, that's something else. Yeah. And obviously the the other thing that comes into it is just the, the volume as well. Sure. I think if you're if if a guy is just not willing to shoot and he can't get his shot off that much, like that's huge. So obviously the stats go into it as well. And some of it is just kind of justice potter stewart like all right that looks really weird like guys don't really shoot like that right like like and, there, and there's a little bit of a sort of like extraordinary evidence or, or extraordinary conclusions require extraordinary evidence so if the guy's shot looks like just very unorthodox i'm going to require even more evidence of it actually going in to believe it than if he has kind of a normal looking shot like kaminga i think is a good example of it right where you're just like all right this guy looks like kind of just a normal guy like have have we seen guys who shoot like this be effective right and if you if your answer to that is yes then you can feel a lot better of like okay it'll be possible for him to improve whereas you know kyle anderson for example like just has kind of weird form he's got a hitch in it it just doesn't look, seem to flow smoothly so i mean if you think of your as your brain as you know sort of like an, an an ai machine learning tool and every single shot that you've ever seen and whether it went in or not is a data point and whether you know the shooting form of guys whose shots have gone in is a data point you can sort of think of like okay how close is this to the good shooters that you've seen before and the further away from it that is the further you are uh from thinking that he's probably going to be a good shooter so I, I hope that was helpful i mean some of it there are very specific things but also it's just sort of a feeling of like this doesn't look like what the good shooters look like yeah i think there's a lot of good insight uh let's go to chet chet you're on the air hey guys good to be on again um i was we're us laker fans on twitter were very sad and trying to figure out how to become contenders again next year and the reoccurring theme that was like an issue with us uh, last year was the shooting and specifically the shooting off the dribble. We just have no one who can shoot off the dribble and uh, make defenses pay for going under. So a little bit of secondary playmaking would also be nice. Some jazz fans about what they would think for a Joe. So apparently a lot of them were like, oh, yeah, we would be due Coos and 22 for Ingles because he is expiring. I think the Lakers would love to do that. So what do you guys think? Yeah, 22 is a, is a better pick than you would a, a expect these guys to have. I don't know that Ingles uh, cures what ails the Lakers. Maybe he does a little bit because of his shooting, but I, I am not that high in his defense. They do have guys behind him, mo even more so than the Jazz did, that, that can help that out. Um, you know, And he gives a, a little bit of playmaking as well, but you also need to have spacing around him for his playmaking to work, and that, that they don't quite have as much of. I mean, to me, the biggest thing that the Lakers need is just for anthony davis to stay healthy and for anthony davis to play more center because that just opens up if anthony davis isn't playing center now you just have another big on the floor who's just a total non-shooter and you've got lebron and you've got ad and so you just need so now you also need to have a knockdown shooter at one of those other positions and you need to have a secondary guy who can do something off the dribble the other position but then you also need that guy to be able to shoot as well and so you're just asking for requirements from those positions that they just aren't going to have the resources probably to get you know maybe if you throw 
throw in the 2027 pick and the the 22nd pick this year you know me and some matching salary maybe you can find someone like that like actually someone like reggie jackson would be a fantastic fit on this team um but to me you just open up so much more and if anthony davis is willing to play center you can get away with like way shittier perimeter players if you're forcing ad to play at the four and now you've got a drummond or a even you know marcus soul shoots it a little bit but still is not a you know, not really a good offensive player at this point in his career now you're just asking for so much in terms of your requirements from those other two positions that it may not be realistic to acquire does that make sense yeah totally i mean obviously i'm all on board of ad playing more center and him willing yeah. to do that and i think that this trade if we acquire Ingles for kuzma i kind of it would kind of force us to play those lineups a lot more because our best lineup would be Ingles at the three lebron at the four and ad at the five and you can't really play you know Ingles in a smaller role so i think it kind of would force that another another one that the lakers have been talking about is dealing like kcp kuzma and the pick or maybe not even including the pick or something for a buddy healed type situation because we're just looking for any sort of shooting and shooting off the dribble just to unlock this offense because this this offense needs a lot of shooting or you know you want to surround ad and lebron with shooting i understand obviously that ad at center is what unlocks all that well, I, well, I would look, say, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Danny. I've no, no, Nate, Nate respond anyway. to that. And then I'll, su- I'll ha- I have some general stats on the AD stuff. Yeah. My thought on that is that I think that Kuzma and KCP might both actually be better players than, than healed. And then you throw in the contract of healed as well. Now Kuzma, he's just had a weird, he may just need to change his scenery so he can rediscover like how to put the ball in the basket again. And then he could be a more valuable player for another team at this point in time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say that Heald is a more toxic contract than either of those guys. And KCP is like a good player for, for the Lakers. And he only has one more year uh, guaranteed. And then he's got the $4.9 the year after that. But yeah, Dane, wh- where were you going to take it here? Well, so I, I think that it's it's important to have perspective on really where the Lakers' problems are. Because AD at the four, the Lakers are so talented that they can they can handle that in the regular season. So LeBron and AD together, I, I'm using cleaning the glasses, garbage time filter. When those two guys were together in total, AD playing either spot, you know, all that type of stuff. The Lakers outscored opponents by 14.2 points per possessions. Like, they were crushing teams. And it was a more limited sample because both those guys missed time. And then if you put AD at the four, and so that's not always in perfect groups, and you, you and I have expressed our misgivings about some of the Lakers stuff, their points differential goes all the way down to a plus 12.5. So I firmly agree that the, and this is why I was so opposed to what the Lakers did last offseason, one of the reasons, was that the Lakers' best lineups are Anthony Davis at the five but in terms of how the Lakers are conceiving of it like I don't think of that as necessarily a regular season pressure but I think you want to do both things you want to have innings eaters you know like the that theory of the center rotation everything else but then you also want to have I would say seven players ideally including LeBron and Anthony Davis that makes sense with a Davis at center conception and those seven players because you assume that at least one or two guys are going to be hurt during your playoff run that would work Mm -hmm. Danny what do you think about uh, a possible Ingles trade do you think that would help the Lakers a lot? I think it would help. I think that the um, the challenge, I mean, so that trade, you still keep KCP because I think you still want black guys that can defend on ball. And I think so. So the, the Ingles, the Ingles part of it, I'm, I'm totally fine with. I don't like the healed construction as much, but I'm also, you know, like is 
uh, an older guy, I mean, granted, we don't know how wide the Lakers window is, who might be getting, I mean, he was he was my sixth man of the year, but might be getting a little bit closer to toast. Is that really where you want to use these resources? It was kind of the same criticism I made on the, the Dennis Schroeder thing. If it's like, you have to be really sure that that's the guy for the rest of your window, whatever that is. So I'm, I'm not opposed to it, but I'm also, I'm not, I would have to really work with kind of comb my, comb my conscience to see if that's what I think is the best use of a pretty decent player at a reasonable rate and the 22nd pick yeah the other thing i would caution too is just that good teams generally don't make trades or at least trades of this nature yeah yeah i mean that's what made that boston cleveland deal for kyrie irving so unique was that those were two teams that essentially were contenders and they just played each other in the in the conference finals so uh, yeah i would be a little bit more uh i think that that makes this a little bit more unlikely but yeah i think they could maybe do better uh someone younger then Joe Ingles with the uh if you're gonna throw in Kuzma and the number 22 pick but maybe I'm wrong about that that's that'll be something to really think about we got to do their offseason preview pretty quickly here uh can we get into a lightning round yeah we with, can we can uh, try we'll, hopefully hopefully we'll do yes. better than last week yeah well should I set the timer should I like really enforce it no, here I think I think let's just for for the next couple minutes we'll do it with intention but Evan you are on the air Evan you there how's it going you guys can hear me Yes. Yes, sir. What's up? All righty. So realistically, I think one through three is uh, uh, in this year's draft is a lock. Um, Kate Cunningham, if he gets traded, he's still going to be number one. Jalen Green, I feel like he's a lock at two. I feel like uh, Kevin Porter Jr. wouldn't just be hopping on this guy's live. I feel like he wouldn't just be tweeting, I'm a point guard with a bag emoji without talking to Jalen Green about it. And that being the team that, quote unquote, gave him a, um, a guarantee that they would pick him. So when you look at Cleveland, they have Evan Mobley. And when you look at Cleveland, they're trying to move Colin Sexton, trying to move Kevin Love. And then you look at Jared Allen, and it's just like, wow, are they trying to pay him $100 million over the next uh, five five years? So four or five years. Literally, I automatically thought of uh, a sign-and-trade with uh, Devontae Graham for Jared Allen. And then I'm thinking, okay, so – or not Devontae Graham, uh, Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier, uh, I don't think he was pictured in uh, Devontae Graham's last live. This guy would rather be out on vacation doing all this stuff with his Instagram girlfriend now. So, you know, I don't think Terry Rozier is kind of locked in like all the rest of the Charlotte Hornets are, knowing that he technically is – even though LaMelo Ball is better, he should be the best player with his, uh, with his tenure and with his history of being an elite player in the clutch. So I think Terry Rozier's out. They bring the, I think they bring in Jared Allen. Now, the one person, the one person that just makes this the most attractive team, in my opinion, where when you look at LeVar Ball's interview where he was like, hmm, you know, don't don't sleep on Charlotte. No, I get all my boys in Charlotte now playing under the GOAT. Do you really think Lonzo Ball and Jello now, he was in that workout video with Devontae Graham's live. Do you think all three, <laughs> do you think all three of them can be in Charlotte? And now here, before, before I, I got to just mention this. I got to mention this. Now, Zion doesn't want to be in New Orleans. I don't think uh, uh, the Knicks can have a package deal for him. What are the odds? Maybe Charlotte. He goes back to his his, his, his daddy, uh, Michael Jordan. You know what I'm saying? Give me give me some more Jordan commercials. Give me back at home in the, in, in in Carolina. So I know that sounds like a stretch. Maybe they don't have the assets to do it now. Maybe they can do it towards the trade deadline. Maybe Zion's parents just go overboard on all these all these rumors and stuff. So that, that's all I got to say. What do you? 
Yeah, so I'll run through those somewhat quickly. So they don't have the resources for Zion. It would require Lamelo, and if you're trading Lamelo, then you're losing some of what may you know. That's the combination that would be so intriguing in, ter- in terms. Well, of Jared and Allen, Zion Zion hasn't like actually asked out yet. Too. I mean, I I've been true. saying if he doesn't want to be there, he should just ask out. But history shows that nobody at this point in their career, before they get their max contract, basically nobody asks asks out at this point. So I think it's going to take a few a few years like at least until he gets to restricted free agency for that to to come to a head much as i would rather i, I you know i think he should i would be interested to see what happened if he did want out because uh although w- what would happen would be uh nba owners would freak the fuck out <laughs> is what would is what would happen because <laughs> uh they're like oh we can't even get this dude for like his first seven years of indentured servitude now like we gotta they can actually like not go where they're drafted what like that they, they would have a big problem with that but um the jared allen thing is interesting though um rosier you know i i will freely admit evan that i am not uh as up on the uh the instagram happenings uh, of these various players uh, as you are but the hornets uh can offer rosier an extension which would be you know basically four years and uh you know in the 90 to 100 million range i can't remember exactly what it is i have it written down somewhere but uh so if he if they can't come to an agreement on an extension pretty early on here maybe you would think about that i think the problem there though is i think rozier is a much more valuable player than jared allen who i think has kind of become one of the more overrated guys we talked about him pretty extensively when we talked about the the cleveland cavaliers and so i mean a hundred million seems like a pretty crazy amount like i think for example rashawn holmes is as good or better a player than jared allen he is older but why would you have to trade terry rozier and give jared allen this big contract that he supposedly is going to want when you could just go ahead and sign rashawn holmes for you know 13 million a year that's all you would need or you could sign jared allen like they wouldn't without giving up terry rozier that's true too i mean yeah if because he is a free agent right if if cleveland so like that's like usually in those circumstances when you've got a team that's willing to offer a restricted free agent more than what they could get but they're kind of like oh maybe they'll match me they want you know usually you'll give up like a second round pick or a low level prospect not someone who you know as as uh, you mentioned evan was one of their best guys last year particularly in the club well, so i, I don't, you, you want to respond I'll, to all that i'll throw in one more yeah. thing the only reason that you would do to me that you would do that sign and trade for jared allen and, and rosier would be if you had another use of that cap space so theoretically yeah i guess lonzo conceptually could be one potential use of that roughly 25 million dollars but you'd have to you kind of have to have all those ducks in a row at the very beginning like you'd have to, to to sequence it that way and so it's it's possible but also like if the if the hornets offer for lonzo was in that range like do lonzo and lamello maybe they do want to play together i actually think it would kind of work i think lonzo's better you know he's he's better oh yeah i forgot in, we still we didn't get to that part of his <laughs> part of his question too there's uh, yeah. a lot to unpack there yeah, yeah. but so I, I think that they they could work together um and it would but you're, you're a couple of different things like i don't think it's a perfect fit because you know you get into some of the stuff in terms of like how's the offense going to flow and also just the potential of the team kind of like you could think about the team chemistry and everything else of like not only the lavar of it but just like it you're the the like the the center the center of your team being two brothers is an interesting challenge like yes the lopez twins played together the morris twins 
Twins play together, but they were never like the best player on the team and the second or third best player on the team. That would be a different challenge. Yeah. All right. Well, that that was uh, that was a good question here. Let's just finish up. We will do a true lightning round here. We'll just uh, out of the uh, out of the comments. Uh, Nate Westerman asks uh, Eric Gordon a better fit for the Lakers or Clippers. I would say Clippers just due to his ability to switch. Although I would like him in, in either destination, but probably more Clippers. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, let's see. Um, what do you think Nick the Spurs at- will do this offseason? Uh, something know. less exciting than we think <laughs> would be my... I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them do a lucrative offer sheet. Um, like maybe they're the John Collins team. Like that, I think that could be yeah. a possibility. Um, and because they, the Spurs can roll their space over if they want to. So like that, it, the downside risk for them isn't nearly as severe as a team like the Dallas Mavericks. Nick asked if um, with Will Barton declining his option, would it have been better if he was included in the Gordon trade instead of Gary Harris? The answer is... Absolutely not, because Gary Harris is is paid a ton of money for next year. He is, even though I love Gary Harris when he's healthy, he is an inferior player. And because of the practical considerations that if Gary Harris were making $20.5 million on Denver's books this year, Will Barton, A, will be making less than that if he's on the team, and B, having him off theoretically were he to leave, that opens up spending power because they aren't going to pay the tax. Yeah, I, I do see the point, though, that it, maybe Harris gives it more, but Harris also just couldn't shoot, and at some point that was going to become a, a liability. Now, maybe with the way that changes is presumably Denver had to give up more to get Aaron Gordon because the Magic were taking sure. back Gary Harris, and so if they could have given up less then maybe it, it would have worked. Also remember that Harris was just injured basically like all year with this groin thing. And, you know, as it turned out, Will Barton also uh, was injured uh, as well. So yeah, I'm fascinated to see what happens with Barton uh, and his opt out here. Uh, but I think that is going to be all of our time for today. Thanks so much. Oh, wait, let's listening. do this. Oh, wait. Quick, oh, yeah. quick one from Paul McKay. Prediction for tonight. Oh, uh, Bucks and six, baby. I, I am in agreement. I think that the Suns, like, I was going to look up what the 538 odds are right now. Um, My instinct, okay, so they have it at 62% for the Bucks, 38% using the Raptor model. I, that seems about right. Seems about right. Yeah, I was, I, I thought they were going to be higher on the Bucks than they were. I think that's, I think that's pretty reasonable. I, in my, I was thinking 65, 35, so about the same one. And yeah, do, Nate, do you want to tell them about? More, th- a little more Bucks. Okay. But I mean, do you want to I'll put it this way. I think if, if Phoenix wins this game, there are going to be some players where we're talking about like what an unbelievably like legendary performance this was by these guys like this is this is a really really hard game to win on the road so i mean this is this this game has some kind of you know warriors at okc in 2016 type of potential or or uh you know calves at warriors game five in 2016 type of potential um but all right, yeah, that's uh, glad we got to that one. And thanks so much for listening here on Dunk Time. Danny and I, of course, will be back at our usual time next week, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific on Spotify Green Room. And you can join John Hollinger me. We do our pod live for about an hour. We're going to debate probably some draft stuff and maybe some free agency stuff, some of our disagreements. And then we do the Q&A for about 20 minutes or so. And we're actually an hour earlier next week due to some uh, – travel i think for john so we'll be at one eastern 10 pacific tomorrow uh spotify green that's on my account at nate duncan nba so thanks for joining us here everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.